Now let's talk for a minute about homicide liability. Okay. Let's call it criminally reckless homicide. Fine. Some jurisdictions call it involuntary manslaughter. Some call it mm -hmm. negligent homicide. Let's refer to it as criminally negligent homicide. I'll call it whatever you want. As long as we bring charges. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe for you every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and your favorite podcast site, I hope, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me... From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we are getting ready around here to hit the road shortly for <laughs> some uh, for some travel over the Thanksgiving holiday. For the record, we will be off next week for that, and I hope you will forgive us. We need to see some family, and frankly, we are also uh, desperately in need of a bit of downtime to recharge our batteries uh, although rechargeable batteries don't stay rechargeable forever, do they? Desi no, they Doyen? do not. But, you know, yeah. portable solar energy panels, not uh -huh. that. They, do they? They do. Okay. <laughs> uh, I knew you would be the right person to ask. Anyway, as we head toward uh, something like a Thanksgiving that many of us were not able to enjoy last year at this time, thanks to the COVID pandemic, we may be heading into trouble at least a bit, once again, as the holidays near this year, maybe, at least in some parts of the country. As Axios reports today, as we head into the holiday season, coronavirus cases are rising nationally and in most states. An ominous trend heading into the week of Thanksgiving. Oh, we're just full of good news here, aren't we? <laughs> Uh, Two-thirds of Americans plan to have Thanksgiving gatherings that resemble their pre-pandemic festivities, according to recent Monmouth University polling. But as cases rise, travel and indoor celebrations will put the millions of unvaccinated Americans in particular at risk. Holiday gatherings in wintertime have been on the Biden administration's mind for months and factored into the White House's initial plans to make boosters widely available beginning in September. 
But as of now, only 59% of Americans are fully vaccinated, according to the CDC. Now, that number is a little bit misleading in that it includes all Americans, including even infants and toddlers who are not yet even eligible to be vaccinated. Of those who are eligible, the U.S. is overwhelmingly vaccinated at the moment. 80% of people over the age of 12 in the U.S. have received at least one vaccine dose, and 69% are now fully vaccinated. Over the age of 18, those stats are even better. 82% are uh, have at least one shot, 71% now fully vaccinated. But the over 12 metric is critical because... Five to 12 year olds have only just recently become eligible this month, though about 10 percent of them have received at least one shot, which is actually pretty good, considering it's only been a matter of weeks since they even became eligible, even if there is a long way to go there uh, for those folks from uh, five to 12 and so uh, the 12 and under who are not vaccinated, well, they continue to be able to easily spread the virus, while those under the age of five, well, they remain ineligible entirely for vaccination. Indeed. And remember, infants and children under five have very, very vulnerable, weak immune systems. Mm. They haven't developed them yet. So yep. they're quite vulnerable, actually. Just 37 percent of adults who are 65 percent and older have gotten a booster dose which is also pretty good, given that they've only been available for a few weeks as well, though that leaves millions, tens of millions of older Americans vulnerable to more severe breakthrough infections, uh, which have been increasing even for those who are vaccinated as the um, uh, protection wanes. Boosters are now becoming more widely available to all Americans. A number of states have already opened them up to everybody. For example, here in California, where I hope to get mine next month, even if I don't look forward to the uh, day or two afterwards. Given the rough time, you may recall that I had after the second shot. But hey, uh, it's still get uh, better than getting real COVID. Oh, heck I think. yeah. And and of course, remember, the uh, if you do get any kind of response from a booster shot or a second vaccination shot, remember, it is of short duration. It will end. And after that, you will then be protected. Correct. Unlike real COVID, which could go on forever. And have a very unpleasant outcome. Correct. Uh, many, many more Americans will soon be eligible to get their COVID booster shot uh, once the FDA authorizes the uh, Pfizer and Moderna boosters for anyone in the nation 18 years of age or older. In an interview with NPR, physician scientist Dr. Eric Topol of the Scripps Research Translation Institute said that while vaccines are very good at preventing hospitalization and deaths from COVID, he explained that a booster shot is a very good idea, even for those under 40, especially if they live in a place where vaccination is low and max masking is optional. If you want to avoid a symptomatic infection and long COVID and you're 18 to 39, you would get a booster. If you're 40 and above, you want to avoid hospitalizations and death in addition to symptomatic infection, you'd get a booster. Got that? <laughs> yes. If you're under 40, get, get a, booster. a booster. If you're over 40, get, get a, a booster. booster. Right. Sounds like getting a uh, booster is a good idea. Uh, by the numbers here, cases have risen by 20 percent over the past two weeks. 
nationally, and increases were particularly sharp in some parts of the upper Midwest and in New England and also in the Midwest and the Southwest, so in a whole bunch of cases. Daily deaths, on the other hand, have been dropping. They have dropped over the past two weeks by 13 percent. That's good news. But the virus is still killing more than 1,000 Americans each day on average. And yes, the number of deaths tends to rise following a rise in cases, which we are now seeing across the country. Hopefully, even that will soon begin to become mitigated by antiviral pills from both Pfizer and Merck that are going through the FDA emergency authorization process right now which, uh, at least according to clinical studies, in the case of Pfizer, will reduce hospitalizations and deaths by more than 90 percent if you start taking those pills within a couple of days after becoming symptomatic. So early next year, once these pills are available, we really, really this time might be getting ready to move beyond this uh, this thing entirely. At barring any new surprises like new strains that we don't yet know about. Yeah, that's a bad thing. <laughs> uh, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said uh, yesterday, quote, as we head into the holiday and winter season, now is the time to think about protection for ourselves and our families, for those who are at higher risk of severe illness from COVID-19 and who are eligible for a booster dose. She said, go out now and get your extra booster dose to protect you. Uh, she added, those who are not yet vaccinated, getting vaccinated this week will set you up to being fully protected in time for the holidays and by the end of the year. The level of risk posed by the holidays, of course, depends on whether you are vaccinated. And yes, it also varies by region, including, by the way, whether those regions have mask mandates in place as, yes, those still make a very big difference. This from The Guardian today. Mask wearing is the single most effective public health measure at tackling COVID, reducing incidents by 53 percent, according to the first global study of its kind. Vaccines are safe and effective and saving lives around the world, but most do not confer 100 percent protection. Most countries have not vaccinated everyone, and it is not yet known if the jabs will prevent future transmission of emerging coronavirus variants. Globally, COVID cases exceed 250 million, exceeded 250 million this month. The virus is still infecting 50 million people uh, worldwide every 90 days due to the highly transmissible Delta variant with thousands dying each day. Again, more than 100 Americans dying each and every single day here. Still, in case you're wondering, I'm not a math genius, but if that keeps up, it's more than 365,000 deaths in the U.S. per year. You said 100 a day. You meant 1,000 a day. Did I say 100? Yeah. Wishful thinking. Yeah, more than 1,000 every day. So 365,000 uh, per year if this rate keeps up. So let's not do that. 
But now a systematic review and analysis of non-pharmaceutical interventions has found for the first time that mask wearing, social distancing and hand washing are all very effective measures at curbing cases, with mask wearing being the most effective. The researcher said the results highlight the need to continue mask wearing, social distancing and hand washing alongside vaccine programs, public health or non Pharmaceutical interventions are known to be beneficial in fighting respiratory infections like the flu, but until now, reviews have not been robust enough to allow experts to make firm conclusions about the effectiveness of uh, those measures in tackling COVID. Results from more than 30 studies from around the world were analyzed in detail, showing a statistically significant 53% reduction in the incidence of COVID with mask wearing. Uh, also, 25% reduction with physical distancing. Hand washing was also very good, but not statist statistically significant enough after adjusting for the no small number of hand washing studies that are included. I guess there are actually studies for that. Uh, Dr. Nabarro, Dr. David Nabarro told Sky News. Uh, where you've got large amounts of virus being transmitted. Everybody should do everything to avoid either getting the virus or inadvertently passing it on. We know that wearing a face mask reduces that risk. We know that maintaining physical distance reduces the risk. And we know that hygiene by regular hand washing and coughing into your elbow also reduces the risks. He says we should do it all and should not rely on any one intervention like vaccination on its own. Just a bit of a friendly public service announcement, I suppose, before folks start hitting the road for uh, for next week's holiday. As to last year's holidays uh, lost and who should but still isn't being held accountable for what happened, well, I will get to that in a moment. Uh, but as we started with some grim news there, here's at least some slightly better news today for those of us who actually uh, don't think the government ought to be in the business of killing its own citizens. You know, those of us who are actually pro-life, if you will. Oklahoma's Republican governor spared the life of Julius Jones on Thursday, just hours before his scheduled execution had drawn widespread outcry and protests over doubts about his guilt in the slaying of a businessman more than 20 years ago. Governor Kevin Stitt commuted the 41-year-old uh, Jones's death sentence to life imprisonment. He had been scheduled for execution on Thursday at 4 p.m., which frankly in and of itself is intolerably cruel to wait just hours before someone is scheduled to be murdered to grant clemency. The, a crowd of his supporters at the Oklahoma City broke out into applause. More than 100 supporters who had gathered outside the prison in McAllister erupted into cheers. Uh, Jones's mother released a statement of, uh, of gratitude, saying that uh, she has been haunted about the idea of watching her baby boy die in an execution chamber for a murder that occurred when he was at home with his family, she insists. Uh, Jones was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to die for the 1999 shooting death of Paul Howell, a businessman from the Oklahoma City suburb of Edmond, during a carjacking. 
but the profile of the case grew significantly after it was featured in a three-episode documentary produced by Oscar-winning actress Viola Davis that aired back in 2018, and then reality TV star Kim Kardashian West and Professional athletes with Oklahoma ties picked up the case and urged the governor to commute Jones's death sentence and to spare his life. So, yes, speaking up and raising hell along with media attention can make a difference in these matters. Jones alleges that he was framed by the actual killer, who was a high school friend of his and a co-defendant who was a key witness against him in the case. He and his family maintain he was at home on the night of the murder, eating dinner and playing games with his siblings, and that the jury never actually heard this information in uh, in trial. Last month, Oklahoma ended a six-year moratorium on executions brought on by concerns over its lethal injection methods, and Jones's lawyer filed a last-minute emergency request seeking a temporary stop to his execution, saying Oklahoma's Lethal injection procedures pose a, quote, serious and substantial risk of severe suffering and pain to prisoners, citing an execution last month in which John Marion Grant convulsed and vomited as he was put to death on October 28. He was the first person in Oklahoma to be executed since a series of flawed lethal injections in the state back in 2014 and 2015. So some justice there in Oklahoma today and one less person killed by their own government. As to the man, in fact, the men who oversaw the unnecessary killing of hundreds of thousands of Americans last year, the case against Donald Trump and Mike Pence for mass murder that we have been discussing of late on this program. Well, we've got even more on that straight ahead on today's broadcast that I don't think you will want to miss. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Now they're planning the crime of the century. Well, what will it be? So many choices, so many things to choose from. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So many crimes of the century at this point to choose from, including the failed attempt to steal the 2020 election. But until they try to steal the 2024 presidential election, uh, for now, I think a case could be made that the crime of the century is the killing of hundreds of thousands of Americans in broad Daylight with seemingly nobody taking action to hold the perps accountable for it. 
something that I am, I'm, 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 you know, simply having a difficult time accepting at this point. Uh, even as it seems, I, along with my friend Tom Hartman, are among the very few who are speaking out about that particular outrage, at least on the airwaves, at least that I know about, even though it involves mass homicide on a seemingly unprecedented scale in this country right before our very eyes. Now, you may remember Tom uh, joined me on the show about two weeks or so ago now uh, to discuss the case that he had laid out at his HartmanReport.com website for charges of second-degree murder, mass homicide, to be brought against our former president based on evidence that while Trump initially took the coronavirus pandemic at least somewhat seriously, at least in its first few weeks early on in 2020, eventually Trump came to believe that it was a disease that mostly affected minorities in blue states. And uh, at that point, he and his administration abruptly changed tactics to allow COVID to basically run wild, reversing earlier actions and blocking Previous plans that they had been putting in place, for example, to distribute PPE and and to recommend uh, masking broadly, because, hey, if it you know only adversely affected those who were not likely to vote for him, who were likely, in fact, to vote against him in his upcoming reelection contest in 2020, why bother to save their lives? So when I spoke to Tom on this program, uh, who concedes that he is not an attorney, about the uh, about the case for what he believed to be mass second degree homicide. Uh, we were both somewhat astounded about the lack of actual attorneys out there that that were making the case, at least publicly, for these kind of charges to be brought against Donald Trump after hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans were arguably needlessly killed on his watch, thanks in no small part to his actions. Or, you know, in many cases, lack thereof, lack thereof action. As Tom noted, uh, Trump's own covid task force coordinator, Dr. Deborah Burks, reportedly testified uh, recently to the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis that at least one hundred and sixty thousand, one hundred and sixty thousand American lives could have been saved in that first year, but for the negligent and I would argue homicidal. I would join Tom in arguing that homicidal actions that were taken or not taken by the disgraced former president. Now, as we reported a few days ago on the program, new media reports and documents since Tom and I discussed all of this on the show have been released by that congressional committee confirming jarring new details about just how far the Trump White House actually went to interfere with the release of crucial public health related information to the American people, with at least six current and former public health officials revealing in recent testimony to the committee that uh, Trump administration officials went out of their way to prevent the CDC from broadcasting warnings and guidance to Americans on necessary mitigation measures to slow the spread for some reason. 
The documents also reveal that administration officials actually instructed that certain emails be deleted, which certainly sounds like uh, both a crime in and of itself and evidence of an attempt to cover up another crime, at least to my non-attorney mind. But again, Tom Hartman is not an attorney, neither am I. But I uh, did hear from a number of attorneys after that program, after that conversation with Tom, who who had some thoughts on this that I've been uh, trying to find a bit of time to share with you, uh, which I'd like to do uh, before we uh, stand down for a bit next week over the holidays. Uh, so uh, after my conversation with Tom Hartman uh, via Twitter, Art X, a Twitter follower from Willamette Valley, Oregon, who is an appellate court public defender who practices in California's fourth district court of appeal. Uh, he responded on the point of whether second-degree mass murder charges were the appropriate ones to bring in a case against Donald Trump for his purposefully negligent handing of the COVID crisis. Art writes, Hola, Brad. <laughs> in California, second-degree murder requires malice aforethought, which can be either express malice, intent to kill, or implied malice. Here is how the official jury instruction defines implied malice, he writes. The defendant had implied malice if, one, he intentionally committed the act or failed to act. Seems to me Donald Trump uh, did exactly that, that he knew exactly what he was doing here. He intentionally committed the act. Uh, in 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 many cases here or failed to act on good information that he had in 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 other elements of this. He intentionally committed the act of failing to act. There you go. Uh, two, uh, the defendant had implied malice if the natural and probable consequences of the act or failure to act were dangerous to human life. Well, I think that is uh, that one's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. More than seven hundred fifty thousand dead. Yes. Although, uh, to be fair, on his watch, it was only about 350,000 Slightly dead. less than yeah. half a million? Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, number three, at the time he acted or failed to act, he knew his act or failure to act was dangerous to human life. Well, we know that if only because of what he uh, we have on tape from him in early in the early part of the year in February and March, speaking with Bob Woodward about it. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, four, he deliberately acted or failed to act with conscious disregard for human life. And again, if he knew about the dangers of, you know, telling people, hey, it's no worse than the flu. Don't worry about it. Hey, let's hold a rally. Let's all get together without masks. You look silly in that mask then yes, he deliberately acted or failed with conscious disregard for human life, another element of second-degree murder, at least here in California. Art goes on to write, Honestly, Trump's public handling of the pandemic, plus his statements to Woodward, I hope everybody remembers those tape recording uh, tape recorded comments revealing that, yes, Trump knew how deadly the virus was way back in March of last year. Uh, it seems to me, uh, writes Art, to make an easy case for second degree implied malice murder. Now, in case you've forgotten, uh, this was February 7, early February of 2020, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Making clear that Trump knew from the beginning how deadly the virus was, but he subsequently went out and he spent months telling the American people in contradiction to the medical evidence that we now know that he knew 
that uh, the coronavirus was really, uh, you know, no worse than a regular old flu. It goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air. and That's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. For This is uh, more for deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so... This is deadly stuff. This is deadly stuff. That was Donald Trump talking on February 7 of 2020, saying that, uh, you know, th this is deadly stuff. It's worse than the 1% death rate from the flu that they feared at the time. This could have a 5% death rate. He also knew that it wasn't only old people that were being affected by it, as he told Woodward just a few weeks later in March of 2020. I think this is March 19, 2020. Even though publicly he was telling people for months that young people really had nothing to worry about, it was no worse than a case of the sniffles. Well, we now know he knew otherwise. Now it's turning out it's not just old people, Bob. Just today and, and yesterday, some startling facts came out. It's not just old, older yeah, exactly. young people to plenty of young people. So he knew. He knew uh, as early as February and March of 2020 how deadly it was even while he was going out there and saying something completely different to the public. He knew. He covered it all up. He shut down the medical professionals in his own administration at the CDC. He kept them from holding daily news conferences, we now know, thanks to the testimony to that congressional subcommittee. Apparently, they, the White House was telling them, oh, you're uh, the CDC coming out and giving a daily updates. That would be redundant because the White House was already giving daily updates, even though Trump himself would almost every day hijack those White House coronavirus task force updates to push his own agenda that often had nothing to do with actual science. Like, you know, asking, hey, maybe injecting bleach might be a good idea. Would that would that help? So second degree murder, at least uh, at least one attorney listener uh, thinks that that might be an appropriate charge to bring against Donald Trump for his actions. Another attorney, uh, Rick G., however, had a differing view via email to bradcast at bradblog.com, where you can reach me if you'd like to ring in on any of this. Uh, Rick writes a subject line. Sorry to burst your Donald Trump murderer bubble. Hi, Brad. I enjoyed listening to you and Tom making a compelling case for the link between Trump's actions and hundreds of thousands of deaths. I'm an attorney, though not a criminal one. But I remember that in order to be convicted of murder or some type of homicide, there has to be a proximate cause between an action and a specific individual's death. Trump did not order anyone to be killed, per se, and one could not prove an individual's death to be a specific proximate cause of anything in particular which the Donald did or did not do. Rick writes, even if someone swallowed bleach and died after hearing Trump, that wouldn't be criminal except for criminal stupidity. An example of second-degree murder, he writes, is a sniper firing into a moving train. He did not intend to kill anyone specifically, but the conduct is so wanton and foreseeable that it is second-degree murder. If anything, it would have to be a legal duty, which Trump violated. 
But even if one could prove he had a duty not to be stupid or a fraudster, there is still no nexus between his actions and an individual's death. Hmm. He says, I think we should hope for Georgia to prosecute Trump for election interference, which seems to be an open and shut case. Best Rick G. So obviously there is some debate uh, about this among attorneys, people who know more about the law than me. Uh, even if Rick there concedes he's not a criminal attorney. But as Tom Hartman and I were discussing this uh, and sort of both being, you'll recall, sort of astounded that there has not been much more of a of a loud case of, of loud cases being made publicly, you know, by actual attorneys, that here we were a couple of talk radio guys needing to make this case over the public airwaves. Uh, well, some listeners pointed out that at least one actual attorney had, in fact, been out there making the public case for bringing charges against Trump for some time when it comes to the uh, his his actions on the uh, pandemic about bringing charges against Trump. And yes, Mike Pence, who was in charge of the White House Coronavirus Task Force for this mass homicide as early as December of 2020. Glenn Kirshner, he's a former homicide prosecutor in Washington, D.C., uh, including uh, time spent as the chief of homicide for a number of those years, overseeing all of the murder prosecutions in the city. And this is Washington, D.C. There's quite a few of those uh, prosecutions. Uh, Kirchner ha now has a podcast that he calls Justice Matters. And back in December of 2020, it became clear that the administration, even then, uh, had it was clear that they had largely by then thrown up their hands as far as trying to prevent the spread of the disease and that they were following the lead of this guy that they had added to the COVID task force, guy by the name of Scott Atlas. Remember oh, him? Yes, that guy. Uh, he was a radiologist. He's not a virologist or an epidemiologist. He was a radio. He was an X-ray guy. Right. He was the guy that promoted herd immunity. Let everybody get sick, and who cares who dies in the Correct. meantime? Correct. That's right. He had appeared on Fox News to make the case that herd immunity was the best way to ultimately defeat COVID by simply letting it run wild in the population, so that folks eventually. I guess the ones who didn't get killed from it uh, eventually would develop antibodies that would at some point in the future, in theory, prevent the spread of the deadly disease, even though actual infectious disease experts estimated that millions of Americans would ultimately be killed by it before this strategy even had a chance of working several years down the road. Yeah. Prevent the spread of the disease by spreading the disease. Yeah. Who cares how many die? Who cares how many get long COVID and have permanent disability? That was that was actually that is what became the strategy of the Trump administration by the end of all of this. Emails, in fact, uh, had come out by uh, December that uh, Kirshner cited on his podcast showing that, yes, the administration wanted to spread the disease widely in order to eventually somehow end it. Uh, one of the emails from uh, one of the staffers read, quote, so the issue is now if it's more infectious, who cares? That was actually, you know, part of the conversation that they were having. Well, no wonder they wanted to delete some of these emails. 
but they wanted it to spread. That was their strategy. At that point, Kirchner uh, in December released a short uh, 10-minute or so podcast after determining that that new evidence that was coming out at the time made the case even stronger against both Trump and Pence than he had previously thought as a 30-year homicide prosecutor, as he had been going on to his podcast to basically make this same case that Tom Hartman was trying to make recently, that I am uh, trying to help build now, that I'm trying to help get out there. And so in December of 2020, Kirshner describes... Uh, their crimes by both Donald Trump and Mike Pence as criminally reckless or criminally negligent homicide, uh, though he concedes that there are sort of different names for it in various jurisdictions around the country. Uh, but he's describing the case that you know he presents in this uh, December 2020 podcast I want to play you part of as he, an actual homicide prosecutor, makes the case for homicide charges to be brought against both Donald Trump and Mike Pence for their handling or purposefully negligent mishandling of the pandemic and why what they did was both criminal and should be charged against them in a court of law. So let's talk about where herd immunity meets criminal responsibility because holding Donald Trump and Mike Pence accountable for preventable coronavirus deaths like justice matters. So I've talked before about Donald Trump's criminal responsibility or liability for coronavirus deaths, but what Trump and company have now been caught doing, trying to affirmatively infect as many people as possible, makes prosecution all the more necessary and hopefully all the more certain. You know, I thought that the evidence couldn't get much stronger for criminal liability for Trump and company after the release of the Bob Woodward tapes, right? Remember back in, you know, January and February when Donald Trump was telling the public there virtually is no virus, nothing to be concerned about it's going to disappear like a miracle. What was he telling Bob Woodward behind closed doors in recorded conversations? Donald Trump said, Bob, this is so much deadlier than even your serious strains of the flu. Bob, do you know how easily transmitted this is by air? Just by breathing, Bob, not by touching. It's not transferred by touch. Just by breathing, Bob, this is bad. This is dangerous. At the same time, he was telling we the people, there's nothing to worry about. Go about your business. Don't wear masks. Remember how he would mock people who wore masks, all the while admitting behind closed doors that it was airborne? It was so, so much deadlier than the average flu. And it was so easily transmitted. He was telling us, don't wear masks because 15 cases will, will soon be down to zero and it will disappear like a miracle and the warm weather will kill it off. And here's what gets lost sometimes, folks. While Donald Trump was lying to us, putting us in harm's way affirmatively, 
Mike Pence was the head of the coronavirus task force. Mike Pence knew the truth about how deadly and how easily transmitted it was, and he stood by silently as Donald Trump lied to us. That makes Mike Pence equally responsible for avoidable coronavirus deaths. Now let's talk for a minute about homicide liability. So for 22 of my 30 years as a prosecutor, uh, I handled murder cases in Washington, D.C., including as chief of homicide, responsible for supervising 30 homicide prosecutors and overseeing all murder prosecutions in the city. So I like to think I know my way around a homicide case. So here is why I maintain that what Donald Trump and Mike Pence and others have done constitutes a low level of homicide. Let's call it criminally reckless homicide. Some jurisdictions call it involuntary manslaughter. Some call it negligent homicide. Let's refer to it as criminally negligent homicide. There are only three things that you need to prove. Three elements. Number one, that Donald Trump acted in a grossly negligent way. Or that Donald Trump had a duty to act, which he did as president, and he failed to act. And that failure is a product of gross negligence. Donald Trump satisfies element number one in either of those two ways because his conduct was grossly negligent. The second element is that his grossly negligent conduct was reasonably likely to result in death or serious bodily injury to another. When you're dealing with a deadly virus, Donald Trump's grossly negligent conduct obviously was reasonably likely to hurt others. And the third element, which sounds tougher to fulfill than it actually is, is that given element one and element two, Donald Trump thereby caused the death of others. And people would say, well, wait, wait, wait. Causing the death of another sounds like he had to shoot or stab or strangle or bludgeon the victim. That's not the way causation is defined in the law. Causing the death of another means that your conduct is a substantial factor in bringing about the death of another. And Donald Trump's grossly negligent conduct was a substantial factor in bringing about preventable, needless coronavirus deaths. Can I use one real world example at the risk of going on a little bit too long? So we had a case in DC, homicide case, where a robber was pursuing a victim, trying to rob a victim, and the victim attend, uh, attempting to get away from the robber darted out into traffic, ran between a couple of parked cars, ran out into oncoming traffic, was struck by the car and killed. So it was the car, it was the vehicle that caused the victim's death. But we charged the robber with homicide. Why? Because the robber's conduct was a substantial factor in bringing about the death of the victim. Donald Trump, by his grossly negligent conduct, has chased us out into oncoming traffic. And the oncoming traffic is a deadly pandemic, a deadly virus. Donald Trump 
and Mike Pence and others are criminally responsible for needless coronavirus deaths. You know, the Supreme Court said once in a, a written opinion, death is different. Death is different. And it is. I mean, it's obviously different for the victim. It's different for the victim's family. It's different, different for the community that's impacted by that death. And we have now topped 300,000 deaths. Death is different. And for the dead and their families, justice must come. And justice matters. Glenn Kirshner there, a 30-year homicide prosecutor in Washington, D.C., for many of those years, chief of homicide in Washington, D.C. Unlike Tom Hartman or myself, there's an actual attorney, an actual homicide prosecutor calling for charges to be brought against Donald Trump and Mike Pence, who he describes as criminally responsible for needless coronavirus deaths. And that was last December. Before we learned what we have subsequently learned through testimony from both current and former public officials in the administration to the uh, given to the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis in recent weeks, finding that, in fact, yes, things were even worse and more purposefully negligent than we even knew about back in December when uh, Glenn Kirshner was offering that particular case. We now know that the administration, including Trump's CDC director, Robert uh, uh, Redfield, and Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, were going out of their way to cover all of this up, even directing staffers to delete emails about those discussions. So, you know, I know that uh, Merrick Garland (laughs) has a lot on his plate right now, a lot on his hands, hundreds of. And hundreds of cases regarding Donald Trump's attempt to steal the 2020 election on January 6th by directing his followers to attack the Capitol to prevent Congress from certifying Joe Biden's elections. I I, election. I know that Trump uh, himself, along with his cronies, should be held accountable there as well. And I don't know that we. Uh, actually know what, if anything, Merrick Garland is doing behind the scenes as he is hopefully working his way up from the henchmen who attacked the Capitol that day up to the organizers and the planners who arranged all of this, including the guy who was responsible for all of it. Yes, the then sitting president of the United States. I hope he's on that case. I hope Merrick Garland is uh, secretly, quietly working on that case, building that case, investigating that case. I don't have much confidence at this time that he actually is, but I hope I am wrong. Many of us thought, oh, he was taking no action on uh, indicting Steve Bannon for contempt of Congress, that, you know, he hadn't convened a grand jury to look at it. As it turns out, he had, and he had brought the case to the grand jury. And only once he was prepared to bring charges did we then learn about it. So good. I hope that he is working on all of that when it comes to January 6th behind the behind the scenes. And many other things. But if you can't bring a case of mass homicide against someone for purposely standing by and allowing hundreds, hundreds of thousands of Americans to be killed by a disease 
that did not have to kill that many of them, then I don't actually know what our American justice system is actually for anymore. I haven't yet lost all faith in that system. Not yet. But it should not fall to a couple of radio guys and a former prosecutor with a podcast to make these cases. That's what the DOJ is supposed to be for. That's what prosecutors around the country who are in office, uh, district attorneys who could bring cases on this. That is what they are supposed to be for uh, supposed to be for. That's what they are supposed to be doing, at least as I understand our justice system. And I sure hope like hell that even if we don't know about it, that they are currently looking into this. If not, well, I will do my best anyway with the tiny platform that I have here to help encourage them to do exactly that, because that's exactly what we need right now. And, yeah, if uh, killing hundreds of thousands of Americans needlessly for political gain, ultimately, if that is not the crime of the century, I don't know what is. Desi Doyen is next with our latest and last Green News report before next week's holiday. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Desi Doyen, I know you had a thought uh, during the break there about that yes. last segment. Yes, I did. Yeah. Hearing that whole case that Glenn Kirshner made, and you made as well, that um, it occurred to me that it might be hard to hear for anyone who has, like me, lost a loved one to COVID or anybody who is currently struggling with long COVID. Mm. So I just wanted to send you a hug if that's you. Very good. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, uh, for that uh, warm and thoughtful notion. <laughs> Before you ruin it all, as usual, uh, with your latest Green News Report. Record rain, fierce flooding, whipping winds, and multiple mudslides. Pacific Northwest careens from deadly extreme heat to deadly extreme floods. Not aligned with our view, the president's policies, or the executive order that he signed. Interior Department holds controversial oil and gas lease sale in the Gulf of Mexico. Plus, Biden promotes infrastructure deal and American-made electric vehicles. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Inflation is becoming a real problem. I went to a gas station today and for a gallon of regular, it just said, kill yourself. Why not? That same gallon is killing all the rest of us. This is your Green News Report.
Okay, Desi Doyen, I always thought if I moved up to Canada, I might be able to avoid the worst consequences of climate change. Mm. Not so much, it looks like. No, sadly. Torrential rains triggered severe flooding in British Columbia and Washington State over the last few days, forcing evacuations and requiring hundreds of high-water rescues. In British Columbia, a state of emergency has been declared after some areas saw as much as a foot of rain in just 24 hours. That caused widespread destruction, truly astonishing in its breadth and scale. Flooding and landslides have cut off all three main highways out of the city of Vancouver, British Columbia. All rail lines at the port of Vancouver have been severed. At least one person was killed. The death toll is expected to rise. The destruction of critical infrastructure will take months to repair and is likely to have long-term impacts for Canada's economy. Plus, the catastrophic flooding temporarily shut down Canada's Trans Mountain Oil Pipeline and its proposed expansion has been halted. So there's that. Much of the damage occurred in places still trying to recover from the devastating wildfire season in British Columbia. Some areas set new all-time high rainfall records just five months after suffering a deadly record extreme heat wave. Climate scientists say that each additional degree of man-made global warming causes a substantial increase in the frequency and intensity of extreme downpours. These extreme weather events will continue to get worse even if every country achieves every commitment they made at the recently concluded U.N. Climate Summit in Glasgow. Wow, this whole climate change thing is turning out to be somewhat expensive. Indeed it is. In Egypt, where it rarely rains, a climate change-intensified extreme rainfall event unleashed a horde of killer scorpions. What? Yes, really. The rains flushed hordes of highly venomous scorpions out of their nests and into homes, where their stings hospitalized more than 500 people. I did not have killer scorpions on my 2021 disaster bingo card. In other news, the Biden Interior Department angered environmental groups this week in holding its first sale of new federal oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico. That was in compliance with a federal court injunction, finding the administration's pause in the federal leasing program to be illegal. Here's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. We're required to comply with the injunction. It's a legal case and legal process, but it's important for advocates and other people out there who are following this to understand that it's not aligned with our view, the president's policies, or the executive order that he signed. Huffington Post reports that while there are executive actions Biden could take to halt or delay such lease sales, such actions carry political risk as President Biden's Build Back Better Act awaits passage in Congress. You know, the last guy in office just ignored court orders. I don't know what they're so worried about. The White House this week also hit back against the latest political attacks over rising energy prices caused in part by pandemic disruptions, calling it another sign of the necessity to transition away from fossil fuel dependence. Most market analysts say there's almost nothing any president can do to alter the price of oil or market fundamentals to drive down costs in the short term. But President Biden this week asked the Federal Trade Commission to investigate potentially illegal conduct by big oil companies who may be inflating gas prices even as their profits have risen and the cost of refining fuels has fallen. Go get them. And 
Ain't it funny how it's only when Democrats are in the White House that everyone gets concerned about the price of gas. Finally, some good news. Good. President Joe Biden highlighted the benefits of electric vehicles in Detroit on Wednesday at a General Motors plant converted to EV production as he promoted the economic impact of the bipartisan infrastructure deal to help transition the nation to clean energy, which also includes billions of dollars for a national electric vehicle charging network. All of that, Biden said, will boost domestic manufacturing and make the nation more competitive with China. We're going to kickstart new batteries, materials, and parts production and recycling, boosting the manufacturing of clean vehicles with new loans and new tax credits, creating new purchase incentives for consumers. Well, good. Not a moment too soon, but maybe a decade or two too late. (laughs) For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. That's a much more pleasant way to end the program than we <laughs> began it and continued it up until the end. Thank you very Indeed. much. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, a service that is made available by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate can't underscore enough how important You are. You are, in fact, the only ones uh, helping to uh, keep us on your public airwaves doing whatever the hell it is we do every day. We do try. Thank you. Uh, What else? Oh, you can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I hope to not read as many of them as possible while we're uh, off for the holiday week. You can also find me on that uh, unabated rage stream that is Twitter and Facebooks. If you care to dip in, you will find me there at the Brad blog, hopefully not raging. Uh, also trying to not pay attention to that during the holiday week. Anyway, you can find me there. I am the Brad blog. I think that's it. Anything else? Not that that's I can think it. of. Well, I am at the Green News Report. No, I am. You, at don't, you can't even remember who you are on the Twitter. That's how much rage you have when you think of Twitter. You are at Green News Report. At Twitter. Do you want to give your email address too? Uh, sure. Green News at Bradblog.com. Good. Write her instead of me for a change. That's it. Uh, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Look at this.